Welcome to Real Food, Real Conversations with Sophia DeSantis, where we focus on finding our happy balance between salad and fries. Welcome back to the Real Food, Real Conversations podcast. I am so excited to be here today. This is episode 85, and we're kind of taking a little bit of a different direction with um, just things I generally talk about, but still in the realm of wellness and mental health. And today we're going to be talking about trauma. And I have a guest today who has been through their own specific trauma um, that she's willing and open to share with us. And I think it's just so important because especially right now in the world that we live in, a mental health is, is really at a forefront. Um, I saw a statistic the other day that um, basically American Pediatric Association has been talking to government about declaring a mental health crisis for children. Um, and it is, has risen by such a ridiculous percentage. I don't remember exactly, but I want to say in the twenties and thirties. Um, and it's really just traumatic in general to think about this. And we really need to start, start talking more about mental health and opening up about it and treating it like we do our physical health. And that's kind of one of my biggest things is that we talk about our physical health and, and, you know, diseases and things like that so openly. And then when it comes to mental health, there seems to be some sort of, you know, stop in the, in the chatter. And um, I really want to be one of these people that helps open up this conversation. So I have an amazing guest today. Um, Suzanne, can you introduce yourself, who you are? Um, I know you have some things I have linked in the write-up for people. Um, and just give us a little, sure. little tidbit about yourself. My name is Suzanne Falter, and I'm the host of the Self-Care for Extremely Busy Women podcast. And I have a book that goes with it, The Extremely Busy Woman's Guide to Self-Care, and a Facebook group and so forth. And darn it if my focus isn't self-care, which I came to after the death of my 22-year-old daughter, Teal, in 2012, who died very suddenly from a medically unexplainable cardiac arrest. So... You know, I was a writer for many years prior and a speaker and still am. And the focus of my work really changed to self-care directly as a result of her death. And um, while, you know, we talked about um, Suzanne here is um, just is a guest. She's not a trained, you know, medical expert. Although, Suzanne, you are an expert when it comes to going through trauma and, and self-care because you've been through it and you've lived through it. And we, you know, we, we can consider ourselves experts when we've really learned how to navigate such a terrible traumatic event. And I'm so happy you're here today to share, you know, with this, with us openly and, you know, chat about self-care after trauma. Thank you. You know, I'll tell you, Sophia, the thing about it is that, you know, uh, one of the things I did after she died was read everything I could find about death, death of a child, um, grief, how to grieve, you know, because nothing prepares you for this. It is said to be the worst thing that can happen to a person. I can think of some things that would be pretty darn bad and probably worse in my own experience. But um, I think the thing that really has informed my experience was that I was willing to make this trauma into a transformational experience for myself from the very beginning. 
because several traumas happened to me at the same time, the death of Teal being the worst. Two months prior to her death, I had um, gotten out of a relationship that I had given up my apartment, moved in with this new partner, um, and quickly that fell apart, and I had no place to live when she died. And I was, I live in the Bay Area, and I was driving around the Bay Area trying to figure out what my next act would be and where I was going to live and how I was going to move forward after this uh, relationship ended. And at the same time, I had just let go of my business, which I had burned out on. I was an overworked workaholic, really, who was empty and had lost her way. I just had totally lost track of my values and even knowing what I cared about. All I knew was that suddenly I was just this free spirit living in this uh, kind of untethered world, trying to figure out the next step after this hard relationship ended. And then Teal suddenly died, which was the last thing I would have expected. And as I said, her death was medically unexplainable. We went to dinner in a restaurant in San Francisco. And two hours later, I got a call from the ER saying she was in critical condition. And, um, you know, it, it just was a very, very strange thing. She had epilepsy and very, very, very rarely this type of thing can happen to epileptics. And that's what happened to her, which and that condition, I didn't even know about that because the medical community at that time suppressed that information. It's something called sudden unexpected death in epilepsy. So for me, coming to terms with the reality that my entire world had imploded was really the most important uh, healing path, just telling the truth about it. And I had this intense and really somewhat profound moment when I walked into her hospital room after, after uh, I, I came into the ER and they had sent her up to the neurotrauma unit at San Francisco General. And I walked into her room and she was just covered with machines and thermal wrappings and wires and beeping monitors. And I mean, it was just extraordinary what was going on in there and people coming and going and trying to keep her alive, you know, because she, she was in a coma an induced coma, but she, her heart had been started again and they were trying to assess whether her brain was damaged. And, um, you know, I, I stood there looking at her and I understood that this was going to be the catalyst for me to change everything about my life because she would die. I really saw that she would die. I mean, the medical professionals were like, well, we've got her in this semi-stable place, but she may not survive it because she, her brain damage may be too extensive. So she's in a coma and we don't know what's next, but we're going to try everything. And for six days, she stayed like that. And during that six days, I had to really confront the fact that my daughter was almost definitely going to die. And because she had been without a heartbeat for 15 to 30 minutes, nobody can really survive that. And that, yes, they were doing what they could, but I had to be flexible. I had to be nimble. I had to be able to let go. And I had to show up as the person that she really wanted me to be. Now, just for the record, Teal was very different from me. She, 
<laughs> and actually, in truth, our hearts and souls are very similar. But she, while I was this workaholic, you know, determined to build a seven-figure business, my daughter was drifting around the world with a backpack and a travel guitar and playing on the street and singing blues in, you know, Amsterdam and, uh, you know, Morocco and kind of wherever she went. She just, she was a world traveler. She'd make a bunch of money as a waitress and she'd have cash in her pocket and she'd pack up her stuff and she'd go to the airport and just pick a place and go. I mean, not a lot of pre-planning, let's put it that way. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Isn't it great? And um, she left behind this amazing journal filled with quotes. She was a big meditator and she felt she was receiving sort of spiritual guidance in her meditations. And they often told her, just be or be and you know. And there was a lot of processing her own anxieties and upsets and there was a lot of wisdom you know and there was a lot in there about letting go accepting reality tuning into your body slowing down and of course these were all the things that I was forced to do after we did take her off life support uh, six days after her collapse so during that time of reinvention I reinvented and I got myself uh, a space and time to just grieve. And I didn't actually work for two whole years. Now, I was fortunate because I had some savings in the bank and I had just been divorced as well. And I had gotten my divorce settlement. So I had a little money. But I want to tell you, I lived very frugally. I lived for free in a friend's guest room. And I just cut everything in my life down to the bare minimum. I even got rid of my smartphone. <laughs> I had a flip phone. It was really a funny little thing. And, you know, I didn't want to hear from the outside world. I just wanted to focus on me. I meditated. I exercised. I ate well. I slept a lot. I journaled. I read. And I wrote blogs. I, I, I wrote my way out of this experience, which for me was good self-care. And, and I was surrounded by supportive people. I found my way to support groups. Now, when, when the relationship ended and Teal died, I had very few friends because I was relatively new to the Bay Area. I'd moved there in 2010 from uh, the East Coast. Really didn't know a lot of people. So I started going to recovery groups knowing that this was a kind and supportive group of people. I also found my way to a grief group for parents who'd lost their children. Um, you know, I, I, I couldn't, I was too raw to go to a spiritual community or church. I couldn't do that. But I found my way to various people who became my friends and really showed up and helped me cope. And that was one of the best things I did. And I, and I really think, you know, the impulse is to pull in and say nothing, do nothing, hunker down and then go to work and come home and hunker down and do nothing and go to work and come home and hunker down, you know, but which can be healing. But if we allow others to really hold us and support us and help us understand that we will get through this, then we not only have found the energetic connection with another person that can lift us up, we've lifted them up a little too because we've given them the opportunity to help us. And that sort of support is incredibly precious when you're facing 
a deep trauma, no matter what it is. Yeah. I mean, well, and we talk about, you know, when we talk about wellness, you know, I, I like to tell, you know, like to kind of say, like, sometimes we take care of our body, meaning like fill ourselves with nutritious food, exercise. And then sometimes we take care of our mind and those can be all in one, but they can also be separate. And part of taking care of our mind, yes, is self-care and meditating and, and um, maybe finding comfort in certain foods or whatever. But part of that is also that social piece. And I think that, like you said, that when we're going through tough times and it could be a severe trauma like yours, or it just could be like a rough day, you know, um, mm-hmm. we tend to pull in and that's kind of a lot of most of us human nature wise. And I don't know if that's because um, we don't want to be looked at as weak or it's hard to ask for help or hard to, to talk about the negative, but it's true that when you, when you do the opposite and reach out, it's amazing how many people are actually there when we've convinced ourselves that nobody is there, nobody cares. Um, yet how is anybody going to know to help if we don't ask for the help? And right. that's, you know, a really big thing is, you know, if we can't expect people to be there for us and, and unless we put ourselves out there, people aren't um, mind readers. They aren't, you know, and oftentimes I find like, you know, you're having a rough day and someone's like, may even notice like a good friend, are you okay? And, and we always tend to be like, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, when in fact, <laughs> it's like, you're so not fine, true. you know, so and true. it's, we say that's like a natural thing. And I don't know why, but it's, it's hard to kind of put yourself up there. And I think for me, the put yourself out there part, me personally is almost the fear of rejection. Like if you put yourself out there and then nobody is there to support you, it's that fear. Whereas, mm. you know, the fear of then really like your, your inner fear of like, nobody cares is almost like the fear of it being actually shown to you where in fact it won't, because there are people, of course, you know, if you have the correct, good, right support group, they will be there for you. Um, I, I have to say for me, the question of why I'd never let people close had a lot to do with boundaries because I had a dysfunctional childhood in which I wasn't allowed to have a lot of boundaries, didn't know what they were, didn't know how to set them, and wasn't even sure what they would be in the first place if I could. And uh, this process of slowing down and tuning into myself started helping me understand not only my boundaries, but my values as well, and what I really cared about, because I had to reinvent my life in a way that was going to be much more meaningful. Now, the work I had done prior was uh, all about marketing, and it was about things I didn't really care about. And it was not sole work. It was work to make a living. And even it was even somewhat distasteful to me at times. And I realized, you know, that is not how I should be spending my time at all. And I want to tell you, Sophie, it was hard for me to let go of that because it had been really lucrative, but it sure was yeah. not when I tried to start it again, because now I was living in full alignment. I was all lined right. up the way I was supposed to be, and I could not get it going. I just couldn't. Well, there were, you know, fail, failed launches and website hacks and, you know, just just disaster after disaster till finally I said, okay, okay, universe, I give up show me what's next. And interestingly, the paid work I developed was writing fiction. 
And uh, an investor came to me unbidden out of the blue and said, I would like to hire you to write novels. Now, I had, like I mentioned earlier, I've been a writer for 40 years and I had published novels with traditional publishers, but I hadn't done one in 15 years and I wasn't sure I still could, but I have now, I'm on my ninth book for this investor and <laughs> that is how I make a living. My self-care work is really more of a gift to the world. It's, uh, you know, a little money can be made from it and that's been beneficial and helpful, but it isn't what I make my living from. And nor may it ever be, because because this was my Tia legacy. I see everything I do now as, you know, kind of what would Teal do, or how could how could this fulfill Teal's Teal's own mission in her lifetime? And interestingly, right before she died, she determined that she wanted to be a healer. And the day after mm. her collapse, she was to begin studying to be a healer at a college in San Francisco. Now, uh, uh, upon her death, we donated her organs because of the very gentle and controlled way she died. She was on machines, her organs were in good shape. So we donated her organs. And a young woman her age got her heart and one of her kidneys. And she wow. went on to study at that school where Tia wow. was to study. And she now works in a hospital in Northern California doing um, echocardiograms for people. That's insane. I just That's got great. chills. That's so amazing. Yeah. I know, like, I've always thought about that. Like, that is so, I mean, and I mean, I can imagine that, gosh, that must feel so great that mm -hmm. you've helped other people continue to live. And I mean, it is a traumatic event. And that's, I mean, I can't imagine I have three children on my, of my own, you know, like mm -hmm. thinking about something happening to one of them is like, I can't even think about it. You know, the trauma, just thinking about it is terrible, but like to, I've always thought about like, if something were, and, and I, for me personally, I'm um, Greek and by fault, I'm Greek Orthodox. It's part of the Greek culture, but when it comes to religion and, and what happens or whatever, I, I really just kind of make my own decisions. And I do right. have organ donation on my, on my card, on my license, because I do feel like, what is the point of, I do believe that spiritually, while some religions believe, you know, your body should stay intact. For me, I just feel like, wouldn't I want to help somebody else survive? Like why I, I, that to me is just an, an obvious, like if I can help somebody in my death, like I would, do everything to do that. It's it's not something everybody feels comfortable doing, but thank you for for agreeing to do this because one of the great things I have gotten out of the death of my daughter is connecting to the transplantation um, world through uh, this woman, uh, this young woman who I've come to know, and particularly her mother Debbie, who has become a good friend of mine. We even did a little podcast together for a while called Back to Happy. And all of this has been about helping people rediscover their inner strength, their calm, their light, their wellness, what makes them happy. Because that's what I've gotten out of this. I am now in a very, very happy second marriage. I have a whole new life. I'm singing, you know, I wasn't even singing before. And that singing has always been one of my great joys as well as Teal's. And now I'm singing the songs. I'm singing blues just like she used to. And that is just incredibly joyful for me. 
So, you know, all of this is to say that traumas and crises bring us to a fantastic fork in the road. And as parents who've lost children like to say, you can either become bitter or better. And which one's it going to be? And, you know, I really chose better. And that was a good choice. It's, it's made me immensely happier than I was at the time, of, even prior to her death, but also really able to connect with more people and help more people and serve more people. You know, we, we have this Facebook group, right? That, you know, I've started a Facebook group to go with my book. That's what you do. Well, and it, it was fine. It had like 5,000, maybe 10,000 people in it. And then last spring, this crazy, crazy thing happened where it went from 10,000 to 55,000 in about six weeks. I have no idea why. It's just that suddenly Facebook smiled on it and sent people our way. And suddenly this group is filled with all of these women who want to help each other with their self-care. And what's really interesting to me is that that's where Teal's healing magic is really playing out because so many women are in that group asking these deep, vulnerable questions. My partner doesn't seem to love me anymore. Am I making this up? How can I get this boss to stop making these sexually inappropriate comments to me? You know, why can't I find any friends? It's like, these are core issues that shape people's lives. They are that inner game of self-care. And how did this group suddenly explode like this? I cannot possibly tell you. All I know is that we worked feverishly to admit you know, go through every single person's application and admit the ones who were legitimate and truly, you know, people just looking to join a self-care group for extremely busy women. And off, off it took. And, uh, you know, I don't have to be this big egoic showy leader in the front of the room to, to create change and solicit or elicit healing among these people they help each other. I ask questions, you know, I post little ideas once in a while, but honest to God, the real healing goes on on the inside of that group. And, you know, of course, Facebook's had a lot of knocks in the press and, and, and I won't get into that here, but I will say that this particular experience is with, with that uh, platform has been incredibly um, healing uh, for there's no other word to use for it. Um, I, I've just been uh, been amazed by it, and I think that's I love it. kind of the power of trauma to create a catalyst for change and transformation. I just love it. I love that, and you're helping so many other people. Like it just it gives me chills to feel like you're you know everything has come full circle for you. You know from yeah. creating this daughter who you say was nothing like you. Um, but in fact, you know, you say she was nothing like you, but in fact, I actually think she was like you, you just yeah. didn't know it. You no, know? And I think she was, I think she was, we were very bonded each in our own way, but my differences were very surface differences. And, you know, I feel her in that group, the self-care group for extremely busy women. I feel her all the time around me as I'm posting or as I'm reading and commenting and liking or, you know, sharing whatever. It's just, uh, 
you know, and a lot of the women are about the age she would be, which is now about 31, 30, going on 32. They, they would have, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, would have loved to you. I mean, what a wonderful just legacy to her and, and everything you've been through. And I mean, I just think it's, it's really challenging when you go through traumatic events. And I think, you know, for everyone listening, you know, trauma is, can be seen in many ways, in many forms, you know, mm. a traumatic event doesn't have to be something as tragic as losing a child. It can be, you know, you know, other things as well. And our, our body goes through, especially everything that's happened these last few years. I think so right. many people are in a position where things are happening around them that they, you know, perceive as traumatic, whether, you know, it's, you know, it's severe or less severe, it, it, it really needs to be dealt with um, and not pushed aside as, oh, it's not that bad. And, and one thing I hear that frustrates me sometimes is, you know, people saying to other people going through something tough, well, ev- there's, there's people that have it worse. And the reality is that, yes, there's always going to be someone out there that has it worse. And there's always going to be someone out there that has it better. Mm-hmm. And what you're going through, what each of us are going through is important and traumatic for us. And that's enough to tell to not sweep it under the rug and, and be tough and get through it and, and get through it by thinking, oh, people have it worse. That's an okay thought, but we still need to like, like you said, like find these groups, find supports, get, get through this and, and deal with it. Because yes, when right. we don't deal with it, and we, we sweep it, we sweep it. It, it, it will come back to get you. Like It will come back to get you. This like, is, you, you can this only is do really, so much. If I can bust in there, this is a really important point, Sophia, super important, because what I observed was that the pain is some of the worst pain I'll ever know in my life. And you just don't want to touch it. It's like, you know, you're going to put your hand on a very hot, 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 hot surface. And, you know, naturally we don't want to go there, but if I hadn't, we would not be having this conversation. I know plenty of of people who have not been able to fully live their lives because they were afraid of that momentary pain. And the critical thing is once you get into that pain, it will lift, but you have to experience it. You have to let it move through your body. You have to let it come out the other side as you know, okay, tired, but empty. It, yes. it must well, be. Well, the pain is going to be there, whether you, you let it, you experience it or not, it's going to yeah. be there. It just, you know, and, and it also, you know, there's like, you know, we talked about before, like there's different types of trauma, but in general, when it comes to trauma and um, when you go through something like that, like it is, there are, there are studied stages that people go through that everyone goes through when it comes to a, a traumatic event. You know, there's stages that we all go through, whether you want to um, move through them and actually experience them, or if you want to just pretend it's not happening. I mean, stage one is denial. You know, we, that's kind of the first thing, like, I can't believe this. How many, how many times has something happened that people say, I can't believe this is happening that's denial. Like, yeah, you, you can't believe it. And then, you know, some people go through like, you know, I know that I've had a friend that went through something extremely traumatic with her child. And, you know, she was angry for a really long time. And that's another stage of, of, you know, yeah. PTSD trauma and being angry. And 
she was angry for a really, really long time. So we go through these stages, but if we allow ourselves to process through these stages, the last stage is acceptance. And once we've gotten to this point of acceptance, we can really start to heal and you're not going to get there if you don't address it. And Mm -hmm. you're, if you, you a lot of people are afraid to talk about these things because I think that when we talk about them, it makes them real. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The, the, the opportunity is to seize what's going on, own it, tell the truth about it, feel it and let it move through your life and move through your body and understand it's got something to teach you. For me, there were, tremendous lessons. Don't do it alone. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to stop and become quiet. Teal's whole thing about just be, just be. That in itself is a profound lifelong lesson, a journey, uh, a a philosophy. It's just, uh, I can't even put into words what a life-changing experience it is to simply slow down and observe what's going on in your body and around you as you move through a trauma, as you understand what its gifts are, as you, if it's a death, remember the person who died and you allow them to, you know, be around you if, if, if you have the capacity to really touch that possibility. Yeah. I mean, it's just such a, Yes. It's such a profound, this episode is so great. You know, for me, I just really have just loved having you on and <laughs> talking about this. Cause it's just so true. I mean, especially it's so, um, it feels so in place for life mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we said, you know, the last couple of years have been really rough on a lot of people, but if we talk about life's experiences and what they teach us, um, the, the lesson of slowing down is a big one. And especially in our country of, you know, work harder, do harder, more money, more this, more that, um, slowing down is so important. And this is, this is such a, um, thing, important thing to do just in general, you know, like slowing down, yes, as a big picture, but even in your everyday life, I mean, I've got three children who are, they go to school, they all play sports. My husband and I both work, um, and we find ourselves sometimes like, for example, yesterday, my kids stayed home from school just because they were tired. We've been going nonstop the last two weeks and I could see it in my oldest son's eyes who has anxiety. I saw it in his eyes that he just needed a day to just do nothing. And I let them stay home. And I just said, you know what, today we are, you know, reading watching a few like nice, you know, family shows while I sit on the couch and I work and we're just slowing down today. And the look in his eyes of just, Oh my God, thank you. He was so thankful that he was given this opportunity to just Mm. like, I could just feel the air kind of, and it's important for us to teach kids as they're young, you need to take these moments to slow down because when you are faced with a traumatic event, it's so much easier to, I think, take that lesson that you've been living and apply it versus like you said, like when you, you've never done it before, you know, it's, it's a big change to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of these lessons we're talking about today can really be intertwined in our everyday life. It's all 
it's all part of the flow of life. And when we allow the flow of life to happen and we don't make a decision about, I'm only going to get involved if it's the good stuff. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it can carry us where we need to go because we're all and here that- to learn something. We're all yes. here to grow. We're not all here just to kind of, you know, shop and eat good meals, although that's fun. It is a good or part of life. our team or, you know, whatever, whatever's our passion. We're here to have the whole experience and the whole experience is where the learning is. You know, I just want to um, add one more thing, which is that one of the things I was really shocked by after I kind of looked back at my experience of Teal's death was that that week she was in the hospital was not only terrifying and grief inducing, but there were these strange streaks of joy that I would have these moments of real elation. And I was like, what is going on? I think this grief is making me lose my mind. And in a funny way, I was kind of disabled mentally for that whole week because it was so hard to process what was actually happening. But I realized, you know, her death was something that she probably was comfortable with given how loosely tethered to life she was in the first place that she might have actually just been like okay well that was fun see you around the next time mom you know yeah i don't i mean teal it was lights out for her from the minute uh she collapsed so she never like knew that she was dying or would be taken off life support. There was no conscious connection with her after her collapse. But I had these strange moments of joy because it was the joy of celebrating a life so well lived. Yeah. I, I it sounds like she she lived her life the way she wanted to. I mean, mm-hmm. it sounds like she didn't necessarily follow a um, quote unquote, typical like path. And she, no. she was, you know, she did what she wanted and you know what, in her few short years that she was here, she probably lived more life than a lot of people live in their long years. That's what I'm saying. And, and what opportunity came for me to reach out and do the healing after her death? And I mean, the opportunity to really feel her around me and really pass it along, whether I'm singing or I'm writing novels or I'm in my group and these women are all connecting. I mean, you know, I do it all for Teal and uh, her model is such a good one. And the whole thing about just be here now, be present, don't be lost in the future, or mired in the past, just really smell the coffee and go upstairs and celebrate the fact that you have a coffee pot. It's such a great thing to have a wonderful cup of coffee. I mean, the small things in life are where the joy is. And that's one of the things we can actually get out of trauma if we allow ourselves. Well, and sometimes, you know, people are brought into this world to teach us certain lessons. Oh yeah. you got that right. It is what it is, you know? Yeah. Well, this yeah. has been amazing. I thank you so much for coming on and sharing about everything. And, and I'm so happy that you are just in a, in a place where you are now and in a great, um, in a great spot. And I, um, I look forward to sharing this episode with everybody and, you know, hoping that um, people can maybe find some support in it. I do have 
your book. And I also have um, your podcast linked here, yeah. um, your free self-care worksheet. Um, so, you know, make sure to get in touch with Suzanne if you're looking for, you know, support or needing needing to, you know, put yourself out there and, and maybe you just experienced trauma or maybe it's something that you experienced a long time ago and haven't dealt with. Um, there, yeah. It's never too late. It's never yeah. too late to make a change. And drop by that Facebook group, the self-care group for extremely busy women, because that's where I have all kinds of conversations with people. It's the best way to speak to me directly. Okay, so awesome. I will make you. sure that is linked as well. Um, thank you, Sophia. Absolutely. And thank you again. And um, those of you listening, thank you for being here. Um, you guys, my listeners are really what kind of keeps me going forward with my podcast and finding finding all sorts of topics that are all around just wellness and, and, and taking care of your body in, in all areas, not just, you know, this is, it, it, this is a podcast about food, but it's also about a, a podcast about real conversations. And that is all encompassing to me. And that's what wellness means. Um, so I'm just grateful for all of you listening. And if you love this podcast, I'd so appreciate a rate and review because the more I get, the more my podcast gets shared out there and the more amazing guests I get that um, I can find that can come to talk about these great conversations. So <laughs> just appreciate everyone. And um, thank you again, Suzanne. My pleasure, Sophia. Thank you for having me.